Well, would you take your Bibles this morning and would you turn to Genesis chapter 2? Yes, right at the beginning of your Bibles. I will give you a bit of a heads up, a forewarning that it may be 15 or 20 minutes until we get to that point, but that's where we're going to start this morning. I want to also say along with Jim, uh, we are absolutely thrilled that you are here today. Thank you for joining us for worship. There's a lot of different things that you could potentially be doing on this fine Sunday morning, and God has brought you together with this body of believers to worship. And so thank you for joining us for worship this morning, and I pray, even if we don't get to say hello to you, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, my goal on a Sunday morning is to try to say hi to every single person that's here and give you a hug. It's not happening through this quarantine time, sorry. Uh, I've done my best to be contained. Like I say, I feel like this is my penalty box up here. Uh, But please know if you didn't get greeted coming in or if you don't get greeted on the way out that we truly do love you and we're so thankful that God brought you for corporate worship this morning. I want to also praise God for those tuning in online. Um, We are so thankful to God that you're tuning in and our prayer is that God uses the word Uh, to grow you this morning. Whether you're at home with your family or at home alone, maybe struggling through some loneliness through this time, know that you are loved and there's a body of believers uh, that cares deeply for you. Um, Just a quick word this morning to kind of back up what Jim said about the the membership meeting. If you're interested in church membership here, uh, we're having that meeting right after church in the gathering room. So this is an information meeting uh, that several of you, I mean, there's a good number of us that were in, we were we were in, engaged in this meeting. We were three weeks into this when we had to kind of distance ourselves. So this is kind of picking up the baton, and we're going to take three weeks of information and try to summarize it down to 45 minutes. So I, I hope you didn't have plans for the rest of the day. Just joking. No, there's probably going to be a lot of questions that come up from this, and so as I mentioned in the meeting this afternoon, we're going to open it up for uh, dialogue afterwards. We're going to take the next couple of weeks, and just if you have questions, bring them to us. Email them to us, call us, talk to us in person if you can, but if you're interested in church membership here, uh, that this is for you. And then also this, in regard to this amazing time we're in with this, uh, however you want to look at it, I guarantee there are multitudes of opinions in this room about this COVID-19. No doubt that the person sitting within 10 feet of you has a different opinion about this whole thing than you do. Uh, Even if it's along the same vein, it's a little bit different. Well, I want to say this. Uh, The truth of the matter is, um, it's going to hit home at some point at Crosspoint Community Church, okay? It's not a matter of if, It really is a matter of when. I mean, as an elder team, we're preparing for this. When we get the call on a Monday or Tuesday and say, hey, I had some symptoms, I got tested, and guess what? I tested positive. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when that happens in the next couple months. And I just want to assure you of a couple things. Um, That we're going to do our best to discerningly continue on through that. Uh, you, you pretty much assume the risk even coming. And I think we all understand that. But it's a risk a lot of us are willing to take by God's grace to hear the word, to fellowship. We, we put out those boundaries as best we could. We, we've got this really weird, awkward, spread out time. Drives me nuts, but it's necessary. 
All right. Um, we praise God that some of you, uh, you know, are so inclined to wear the masks in this room. That is between you and God and your persuasion. That's great. But I'm going to tell you, it's probably not if, it's when it's going to hit home. And so here's what we pray for, what we're praying for as an elder team, and what we'd like to encourage and exhort the body of Christ here is this. Please, yes, be personally cautious, but please don't panic. It's going to happen. You know, I watch the news uh, on occasion, um, and, and I'm overwhelmed with a couple things. One of this is, we are living in a culture that is freaked out by the thought of death. If, if it's not highlighted now, and you can't see that very clearly, something's wrong uh, in the way you perceive life. <laughs> because everyone around us is freaked out by the concept of death, which I'm going to tell you, we have clear guidance in the scriptures on that whole subject. We have one through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the Apostle Paul, who clearly says in the book of Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we don't take that lightly. We're not disingenuous in any way to those who have this concern, but we know we are not living for this life as much we are living for the next life. So please don't panic. Uh, and here's the other thing I noticed as I watched the news is not only are we panicking about death and freaked out by death, uh, and, and rightfully so for those who do not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that is something they actually need to consider and, and, and fear. Um, and that's why we shine the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the other thing I watch the news and I see this, that we are a people that are so frustrated that we cannot control sickness. You notice that? We are a control freak society. We want to control everything. I mean, yes, our bank accounts we want to control and the schools our kids go to and the exact times we get up in the morning and the exact times we go to bed and the times we consume coffee and the times we eat dinner. We want to control everything. And now we have something that we can't quite control. And people are blowing brain gaskets over this. I'm going to tell you, our prayer as a body of Christ, as an elder team, is this, that we don't panic. We find our assurance in the Word of God. Uh, please be open. Here's a, a, an encouragement. Please be open with us and communicate. If, if you're struggling through these, if you're, if you're tested and, and you have some concerns about that, don't feel bad about calling the, the, the church office. Just kind of walk them through that with us. We, we want to have open ears to this. We want to be cautious as an entire congregation. Not panic, but cautious optimistically cautious and then would you just continue to pray for wisdom for uh, the elder team here the leadership team that God would give us grace as we navigate through this like stupidly awkward time in our lives nonetheless it's what God has for us to work through right now and so we embrace this by his grace okay enough of that enough rambling let's get into our study today um, so you're in Genesis 2 well, I'm going to tell you, just like we did last week, this is going to be much more of a, what we call a biblical, biblical theology type uh, study this morning, where we're not going to just engage in one passage, we're going to actually jump to a couple different passages, and we're going to try to develop the story of the Bible. You're going to hear that word story used a bunch today, because that's the primary metaphor we're going to be using. Um, Today we're going to continue, if you're, if you're just visiting with us today or uh, new to this study, we are in a really fun study. Uh, we, we, we launched off a couple weeks on this study in Hebrews chapter 12. 
through the, amidst the, the trials and the testing of this life, where in Hebrews chapter 11, we very clearly find that, that their faith was being tested. Faith is being stretched. Maybe you feel like that. And you kind of find yourself on occasion saying, really, God? R- really? I mean, you turn on the news and you see like everything breaking loose. You see riots and you hear of these murders. And then the next sentence is about how the hospital beds are, are all full except for two, like in the entire state. And you watch these things and you're trying to process them. And you're like, really, God? What's happening? Well, we find very clearly in the scriptures that when our faith is tested, the author of Hebrews says this. Continue to run the race with endurance. Don't sit down on the couch and watch everything happen. Run with endurance. The race that is set before you, and here it is. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the founder and finisher of your faith. So that is exactly what we're doing in this study. I mean, I had plans through the summer to do a much different study. And as we've gotten into this, I thought, you know what? We just need to take 15, 20 weeks. We prayed about this as an elder team to fix our eyes on Jesus. Every week, taking another snapshot of how beautiful our Savior is. I mean, every week taking one of these passages or one of these biblical theology thoughts and just developing it. And when we walk out the doors, having more of an understanding and more of appreciation of who Jesus is. Well, that's, that's our thought. That's our prayer. Uh, last week, we took a, a really cool snapshot of Jesus Christ. And that is the fact in Philippians chapter 3, Jesus is referenced as our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in his name, we find that he is the rescuer. He is the supreme rescuer. Uh, Peter in Acts chapter 4, in this wonderful conversation, if you want to see a tense conversation, read Acts chapter 4. And what does Acts, and Peter say in Acts chapter 4? He says, neither is there salvation in anyone else. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be rescued. Amen. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we meditated on that this week. Today, we are going to fix our eyes on Jesus as the promised conqueror. If you can't get excited about the promised conqueror, your exciter's broken. <laughs> All right. This is, I mean, I, I found myself this week getting so excited. I was yelling out in my room studying this week. I gave my, I just about gave my poor deaf dog a heart attack <laughs> when I was going through this this week because I was getting so excited about what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to try to uh, stick to the, the text this morning, stick to the plan. And we want to talk, though, about this. Story. Concept of story. Okay, so it's easy sometimes to take the Bible off your shelf or you know, off your desk and you open it up and you want to go to a passage and you like dig into a passage and you kind of just want to find out what that verse means. So you kind of, you're kind of stuck at the maybe 100 foot view. And where a lot of times we need to kind of extract ourselves and see the 30,000 foot view. To see that this Bible you hold on your laps is a, an amazing story. So what we're going to do today is actually kind of, uh, God forbid that I do this on summer break, because I know some of the kids are already going to be upset with me, but I'm going to mention a class. It's called literature class. So move those cobwebs around in your mind, and let's go back to literature class. In fact, I was talking to one of my young buddies this week. Uh, 
Jacob now. I was like, Jacob, you excited to go back to school? And he's like, oh, I think about school and I get sick to my stomach. <laughs> so young ones, I'm sorry, but we're going to talk about school this morning. We're going to talk specifically about one of my not so favorite classes, nonetheless, literature class. Looking at a story, when you look at a story, I mean, we can talk here outright. Uh, when you think about a story, when you analyze a story, what are the primary components of a story? Anybody know the primary? There's, there's several different ways of analyzing a story, but when you think about them, what are the five basic components of any good narrative? Anybody? Plot. We got it. Well, he got the second one. Plot. All right. First one's setting. This is the location and time of your story. This is what we would talk about in biblical terms as like context. This is setting up the story and its location and time. Our particular story, the Bible on your laps, we're talking about all of human history, even beyond that, to before the foundations of the world, the Bible talks. That's the setting of the Bible. So we have setting. We have plot. Plot is the progress of the storyline. What else? Can you think of any other? Okay, someone said conclusion. Before you have a conclusion, though, you're going to have a conflict. You can have a conflict in your story. Um, this conflict leads to a climax a lot of times, and that climax leads to a resolution. So when you think of any good story, you have a setting, you have a plot, you have a conflict, you have a resolution. You have a struggle within your story, and then you have somehow in your story how this this problem is solved. But these four are missing something. Someone just said it. Who just said it? Characters. All right, characters. You cannot have the story without that one in the blue there. Characters. Characters move the story on. And so very quickly, thinking about these characters... In any given story, uh, you have to have a primary character. Anybody know what that primary character is known as? Upper left. Someone said hero. Another way, name for hero is the protagonist. This is the one. If you do not have a protagonist in the story, you do not have a story. All right? Or you do not have a good story. <laughs> The protagonist, you have this person, this is your hero, this is your conqueror. This is the one who, remember the last two things there, conflict and resolution, this is the one that brings resolution to your conflict. All right. On the other opposite side, you have the antagonist. This is the one who antagonizes the hero and the others in the story. All right. This is the bad character. Um, a lot could be said about this, but basically you look at the antagonists like the rival or the enemy. So today in our study, we're going to take the scriptural term and say enemy, this enemy. Well, on the bottom side, and I love this because sometimes we forget about this. In a story, you have different uh, qualities of characters. You have what would be a dynamic character and a static character. And when you think of a static character, this is, th these are those who don't change much at all through the story. They're just kind of part of the story, but they don't change much because of the storyline. But then you have another set of characters, and by God's grace, this is who we are, the dynamic characters. What do I mean? These are those who significantly change because of the storyline, because of the plot line. 
This plot line changes their whole perspective of life. This this storyline transforms their actions, the way they process thoughts and the way it comes out in their words. So, when we think about this story, today we're going to do this. Looking at the scriptures as a story, and this is the beauty of the whole story, we are going to focus on the upper left person, the hero. And we're going to conclude by hopefully asking ourselves, how dynamic of characters are we? Let's start by looking at the protagonist in the storyline, in the scriptures, and who is this? Okay, the study's on looking to Jesus, so it better be Jesus Christ, right? He is our hero. He is the one, as we see today, we're going to develop this concept of him being the main character, the conquering hero. He is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love this depiction, taking uh, someone's idea of what Revelation 19 would look like when Jesus comes on the white horse. Next week, we're actually going to develop this thought a little bit and look at him as being the eternal king. In Revelation 19, he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. But you get this picture. He's coming with others supporting him in white linens. But what is his garb look like? It's very clear in the text in Revelation 19. It is blood stained. It is dripped in blood. The blood of the cross. He is our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He carries, actually, out of his mouth comes the sword. And he's carrying in his hand the iron scepter. If this doesn't say conqueror, I don't know what will. So you're going to notice, though, that that's Revelation 19, the third to the last chapters in your Bible. So we've got a long way to go to get there. Nonetheless, this is who we're looking at today, and this is the key idea. As our faith is tested, as your faith is tested this week, your faith will be tested. Not if, but when. You're going to wake up out of bed, And that pain. You're going to maybe wake up in the middle of the night and that thought that will not leave your head. That that ache, that pain, that trial, that test, that anxiety. Through the testing of life, what are we to do? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, we need to see this aspect of Jesus. He is the promised conqueror. So, very simply today, as you can see on your handout, as promised conqueror, Jesus, and here's what we're going to see in this storyline in literature, Jesus defeats the ultimate enemy. We're going to spend some time on that. The protagonist defeats the antagonist. And we're going to make one more point today as we look through Scripture, that as promised conqueror, Jesus resolves the devastating conflict. So even though you graduated from high school, college, or beyond, we're back in literature class today, and we are going to study about this conqueror. Let's start with the first one. As promised conqueror, Jesus defeats the ultimate enemy. Who are we talking about? Well, we all know we're talking about Satan, the devil, the wicked one, Lucifer, The master deceiver, as John says in John 8, he is the father of lies. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, he disguises himself as the angel of light. That is the enemy, clearly, in scriptures. I want to go now to the setting of this story as the plot develops, and I want us to go in our Bibles and 
till Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, on the back of your handout, you'll see it starts in Genesis 3, but I want to just briefly read, and it's going it's to be hard for me not to make comment on Genesis 2, but I want to set up the setting. All right, here it is. Genesis 2.15, we find the setting of what's happened after God has created the world. His prized creations, those created in the image of God, man, uh, Adam, and Eve. And we find this in verse 15. The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, you will surely what? Let's try that one more time. In that day you eat it, you will surely what? Die. Die. So right away in the story here, we find introduced the conflict. Death. And there's no disguising it that sin will lead to death. And actually, when you look at that verse, you're kind of like, well, that's kind of a, a different, maybe someone will, will process this verse and think that's kind of like a, a tricky kind of God. But I'm going to say, no, no, this isn't a tricky God. This restriction to Adam and Eve was actually one of the biggest blessings that God could ever give to them. This restriction was his grace and mercy and kindness on them. If you partake of this tree, bad things will happen. So my restriction to you is actually a great blessing. Which, by the way, brothers and sisters in Christ, that leads to today. Sometimes we read the scriptures and we think, oh, why would a God say that to us? And here's why. Because he wants to bless us with his grace and kindness. Blessings come in the form of restrictions. Children here, teens here, remember that. Your parents don't hate you by giving you restrictions in your life. They're blessing you by guarding you. Okay, as you can tell, we're going to have a struggle to get through this today. I want us to go to Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and we see more of this setting. Here it is. Now the serpent, Satan, the enemy, the antagonist, was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Time out. That tactic from Satan has never changed. What did he just do? Question God's word and God's goodness. And I'm going to say, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the exact same things that he does for us every single day. Satan causes us to doubt God's goodness and God's word. From the garden, we see this pattern. Uh, verse 2. The woman, and I think this, this woman, Eve, is a bit naive in the whole situation. The commandment was given to Adam, who passed it on to Eve. And I think she really genuinely is trying to process this. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall, not, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Take special note that what is clear, the clear consequence of sin in this passage of disobedience to God is death. This is clearly understood by Eve. 
She might not know exactly what death is because, or how that's going to look or the extent of it because to be honest with you, in the garden, there hadn't been a single exposure to death. What is death? Not one thing or person had died in the garden, but they knew it was bad. Separation from this God. Verse 4, but the serpent, but the serpent was, 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 was conniving and he said to Eve, You will not surely die. Direct live from the master deceiver. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, perceiving this good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired uh, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and the saddest three words I believe in the scriptures and he ate she was deceived and he intentionally partook and disobeyed God's word Um, we continue on in the story verse 7 Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord God, this relational Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. This is exactly what sin does to us. It makes us want to stay away from the presence of God in our lives. Among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? This was not a question out of ignorance. It was just compelling a confession from Adam. Verse 10, And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. This is exactly what sin does. It makes us afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God Almighty in his omniscience knew perfectly well what had happened. Again, he was compelling a confession. Verse 12, the man said, the woman. Oh, here we go. The blame game. (laughs) All right. This happens like every day in some of our homes, right? Oh, God, the woman made me do this. The woman whom you gave to me with me to be with me. So it's your fault, God. You gave me this woman. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. I can imagine the picture here. And I don't want to embellish it too much, but it's almost like, oh, really? Come on. And so the Lord said to the woman, okay, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceive me and I ate and the Lord God said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you serpent cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life and then if you want to highlight or circle verses verse 15 is is the one you should highlight and circle This is what's known as the Proto-Evangelion. This is the first rendering of the gospel in the Bible. This is the promise given after sin. It is a gracious promise from Almighty God. And here it is. 
And it's promised actually to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, as you see translated in the New Testament, he shall crush your head. Pain is going to happen. He's going to destroy you. That's exactly what God is telling here to the antagonist. Look out. A hero's coming, and he's going to destroy you, Satan. That's at the beginning of our Bibles. You wonder what your Bible's about? It's about the development of this crushing. It is to see now, through the next 66 books, how this conqueror is developed. There are three standout points in in this verse, conflict. Here it is. The resolution will come as the conqueror will be a human. Did you catch that? I mean, you would think in your mind that maybe the conqueror would come from an angel. Satan himself being an angel of light. Maybe God would would train an angel to come conquer Satan. He already been thrown out of heaven, we see, because of his pride. And maybe you would think that God himself would crush Satan. But the information given here, which by the way, I love this because it's a bit of a mystery exactly how this happens, even to Satan. But we know from this verse that the conqueror is going to be a human. It's going to come from the seed, from the offspring of Eve. Satan looking at that, and I thought, hey, I've got a chance. Okay, time out. What's the rest of the story? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. The information that Satan didn't know from the onset that it was going to be the dynamic God-man. Yes, he would be man, 100% man, but he would also be, as theology says it, 100% God. The union, the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. 100% God, 100% man in order to 100% redeem. If he was not 100% God, he couldn't fully redeem. If he was not 100% man, he could not fully redeem. He had to be both. That is the story of the Bible. That the, con- the conqueror had to be both. But not all the information is given on the onset to Satan. He's thinking, oh boy, light work. Did you just see what happened to Adam and Eve? I can do that again. Uh, the offspring of, of, of a woman, this human, weak sauce, <laughs> weakling. I can handle that. Here's something else that comes from that. The conqueror would crush, destroy the enemy. Very clear. Very clear in here that the conqueror that would come from the seed of, of Eve would crush the head of Satan. Then the third part of this, though, and we know more of the story because we've already gone through it. We see it in our scriptures. Is something's going to happen, and they didn't know all of how this was going to work. But the conqueror would crush the head of Satan, but in the meantime, the conqueror's heel would be bruised. In other words, the conqueror would suffer an injury through this, but it would be a temporary injury. You would much rather have a bruised heel than you have you would have a crushed head. And that's the storyline of the scriptures. How the bruised heel will happen as the head is being crushed. Well, hopefully you're still with me. All right. Let's continue on and see how this happens as you go through the rest of scriptures. Let's take a, a big jump. What's happening now in the Bible that you have on your lap? 
for 4,000 years were looking for the conqueror. Maybe it was Cain and Abel and Seth, the direct seed of Eve. Maybe that could be, but very clearly, no. We had murder in the first family. We have abandonment. It's not going to happen from them as you go through the, the narrative of Genesis. What do you find? Well, maybe it's Noah. Well, even though we find a glimpse of what the conqueror will do and another kind of a clue of what the conqueror will do, it's not Noah. Well, maybe then it's, Ab- it's got to be Abraham, the father of the nations. Well, no, it's not Abraham. But then we get another clue. It's going to be from the seed of Abraham. And through this seed, all the nations will be blessed. Well, then maybe Jacob. No, or, or Isaac or Jacob. No, no. It's got to be Moses. It's got to be Moses. Even Satan himself thinking potentially Moses, that guy in, in Pharaoh's land, maybe it's him. No, it wasn't Moses. But through Moses, we have more clues of what this conqueror is going to look like. Well, then certainly the root of Jesse, David. Certainly it's going to be him. As you go through the scriptures, you find, oh boy, this David, and even in 2 Samuel chapter 7, which we're going to look at here probably in about a month from now, 2 Samuel 7, you actually, we're going to actually probably look at it next week or the week after, the eternal king, the forever king will come from the line of David. So it's not David, but it's going to come from the line of David. So 4,000 years, Satan, the enemy, is doing whatever he can to destroy and to discourage and to distract God's plan. I mean, it comes to life. Peter actually explains it very well in 1 Peter 5. You remember this? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around roaring, seeking whom he may not just discourage to have a bad day. He wants to destroy God's plan. That is Satan's plan. So 4,000 years we have the development of destruction. We have the human race, the seed of Eve, continuing to grow and grow and grow. And the entire time we're kind of trying to still look for a faint glimpse of the offspring that's going to crush the head of Satan. You following the story? I want to just point out this verse. We looked at it over Christmas time, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. One of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 4, as Paul is talking about this story, this narrative that's unfolding, he says this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, and then the next three words we need to take note of. Born of woman. Here it is. This is human. This is God's Son. This is Emmanuel. God with us. And through the dynamic miracle of what happened in the beginning of your New Testament, the story of Eve, uh, sorry, Mary, uh, the conception through the Holy Spirit, we have the great God-man, Jesus Christ. We now have the conqueror. But this conqueror isn't, doesn't come down out of the sky like we saw in that picture. No, this conqueror is born in the most humblest of fashions. And he's laid, as Isaiah says, we find this through the scriptures, he's laid in this cave, in this feeding trough. The conqueror was. Why? Brothers and sisters in Christ, you know why? Hebrews tells us so he can identify with what you're going through and what what I'm going through right now. 
This is the conqueror. This conqueror is not ignorant. No, no, no. He's not ignorant, ignorant because he went through the struggles of this life. I love what Hebrews says. And we're just taking snapshots of this. Hebrews chapter four, uh, 2. And in my mind, I think, okay, well, what's the conqueror going to do to fix the problem? What's the conqueror going to do to defeat Satan? Well, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 doesn't mix words at all. Here's what it says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, we're talking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Let me read that one more time. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death. That is the devil. The author of Hebrews, very possibly Paul, writing this, thinking of what had just happened. Jesus died. I mean, we're going we're gonna to work right into that in the next point, the resolution of the conflict. But before we do that, I want to just, I want to jump to the end of the story. And my wife does this often. She, I told her it's cheating. You cannot read a story and get through the first four chapters and set the setting and then jump to chapter 23. You got to wait. You got to get there. The story's got to develop. She, she can't. She jumps to the end of the story. We're watching a movie and put it on pause and she'll go Google the end of the story. What happens to this person? Can't do that. It's cheating. Okay, I'm going to cheat this morning because I want us to go to the end of the story. And what I'm talking about is Revelation chapter 20. Oh, if you want a blessing, go to Revelation 19 through 21 because we see how this conqueror is going to fix this what the conqueror is going to do. And in one verse, we find a massive amount of information. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says this, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That serpent, guess what? Thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever. The conqueror defeated the enemy. I can already see we're going to struggle to get through this next point. So to be honest with you, I think we're going to wait till next week. Next week, we're going to see this second point, and here's the point. As promised conqueror, Jesus resolves the devastating conflict. In preparation for next week, I want to ask you to read 1 Corinthians 15. We see very much, here's a hint. It's the resurrection chapter. How is the conflict resolved? How is that death that we found in the garden experienced by humans, how is it now going to be resolved? We see very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I will give you a, a hint. Verse 22 says, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I want to end though, and I'm going to jump forward a little bit to the end with a brief so what today. We'll go through these again next week, but here's a so what. I'm going to jump to the second one. 
Here's the question. Will you today find comfort in the conqueror? I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I do know this. There's so much more to this story of the conqueror, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows what you're going through. I mean, maybe you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which was the first so wet question. Will you submit today to the conqueror? We'll talk more of this next week. Maybe you've never submitted your life to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I would wholeheartedly ask you and plead with you almost, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Today, submit yourself to this conqueror. Nonetheless, Romans chapter 8, and I just want to read these verses as we close out today. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to skip down to verse 34. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? That gives you an indication of what we're talking about next week. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, brothers and sisters? This is what's happening right now, is the conqueror is interceding on your behalf and on my behalf. Here it is, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword, or danger, or sword, or COVID, or riots, or murders, or recession? That's not in there. I just added it. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. I'm going to read that one more time. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Brothers and sisters, this conqueror who comes, and we saw a picture of him uh, as someone depicted in Revelation chapter 19. This is our conqueror. Through him, we are more than conquerors. When we're talking about the penalty of sin last week, he is the one who conquered sin and death. We're talking about the power of sin in your life, that addiction that you're struggling through right now. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a conqueror in Jesus Christ. He has already won the victory. He has secured the victory, and he one day will come to claim the victory, to finalize the victory. Uh, Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us go home with that assurance this morning. The assurance that as our faith is tested, we must look, fix our eyes on the promised conqueror. Come back next week and we'll hear more about this conqueror.